If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Ali Makdad, welcome to our program and good day to you, sir. Thank you. Ali is uh, with the University of Washington, officially as a professor out of Seattle. He's with the Health Metrics Sciences at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. He's the Chief Strategy Officer of Population Health. Now, what does that mean to us? Ali Makdad has a model that they've been using now for months to project what's happening in America, what's happening possibly in your state, or what's happening around the world. So we're having this conversation on the afternoon of Thursday, April 30th at about 4.30 in the afternoon East Coast time. The reason I say that is because a lot of this information could change by the time um, someone listens to it. So what is your key finding as of today, April 30th, Ali? So our key finding is we're projecting about 72,000 deaths by August 4th uh, in the United States from COVID-19. We are seeing that as a country, we peaked and we are coming down. So the worst is behind us. And we are uh, putting dates out there for uh, states to move into a containment phase where they can relax some of their social distancing and start uh, doing tracing uh, and early detection and following the contacts and isolation. Mm. You know how many people are relying on your information. Uh, They're watching this at the White House, clearly. Uh, We've been watching it here and all over the world. And I just want to address something at the very beginning of our conversation. Because the models change. And when the models change, people wonder, well, where are you getting your information? What is your defense or explanation on that, Ali? No, when we started doing this bill, we always told everybody that we will update the numbers on a regular basis. We do it on a daily. We release it now three or four times a week. And the reason we said the numbers will change because we're having new information. Early on, for example, to give you a specific example, we were using social distancing as a measure, so stay-at-home order, and we're basing our assumption of what have we seen in China, Wuhan, Italy, Spain, South Korea. Right now, we have mobility data, so we can use mobility data and we could base our uh, model assumption based on what we see in our own country, for example. So new data is coming. Our model will change. Sometimes we'll go up, sometimes we'll go down. The, the, uh, the reasons it goes down up the numbers is states are adding presumptive deaths right now. So typically, we used to count only people who were tested and died. Right now, people who died without being tested, but they have the symptoms, are being added as deaths. So the numbers are going up a little bit. Mm. So, Ali, um, two days ago, your projections for the number of deaths in America was at 74,000, which is it's a big number. And today, you're saying it's 72,000. So that that's... Yeah. That's 2,000 lives. Why the difference in 48 hours? 
So early on, when the earlier model, we had the relaxation of some social distancing in many states, as you remember, in Georgia and other states as well, for example. And then what we have noticed right now, even when people are going back to work and mobility is increasing, uh, we're noticing less expected deaths than we projected because it's clearly that Americans, as they are going out, they're practicing safe social distancing, staying apart six feet, and you see more people are wearing masks. So right now, mobility is not the same mobility that used to be pre-COVID-19, and that's very encouraging. What does that tell you? People are listening, they're paying attention. What is their, what can you say about the level of tolerance that you're finding all across the country? Oh, Bill, uh, I am impressed by how Americans have responded and how much each one of us has done to contain this virus. I've been here since 1986. I came here for higher education from Lebanon, and I never expected that so much so many Americans will stay at home based on the advice from the medical institutions. And we are seeing it, and we're seeing Americans, even when they go out, they're practicing safe distancing. So uh, true heroes, uh, and this what we are seeing, of course, are our medical uh, staff that are dealing then with the COVID-19, but truly the American people as well have sacrificed and have put up with some messages. Sometimes it was confusing, but they stayed at home to help us to reduce the number of deaths and also to reduce the demand on our hospitals. Mm. So as you look at your model now, when, when does America win this war? America, in my opinion, America win when we don't have any mortality from COVID-19. Now, in the back of my mind... What, when, it, when, when would that be? Yeah, we're looking at it right now. It varies by state. We're looking at some states in May, some states in June. And so we're very close, and we have sacrificed a lot to be here. We have to acknowledge that. Many people have died. These are loved ones. But we are almost there, and we have to be a little bit more patient. But we're out of danger, almost mm. out of danger. A few weeks ago, you were working on a model to do a state-by-state comparison for the reopening. Have you been able to to produce that model? Yes, we did. And we have now on our webpage uh, for each state when they can move into a containment phase where we feel they can relax these measures right now, the social distancing, and they have to do tracing and early diagnosis of new cases, tracing, and, of course, isolation of people who are uh, confirmed to be uh, COVID-19 positive. And also, we need to be cautious here and tell people, as you relax, please make sure that social uh, gathering should not be allowed to be in large numbers. Uh, we're not going to open our football fields, for example, or have uh, school graduation this summer. Mm. Which is terrible news for, for so many students, millions and millions of them. When you look at your state-by-state model, can you say who's doing it right? So the state and our models, the state who have shut down earlier, uh, your California, your Washington, for example, uh, have done a good job, New York, uh, have done a good job compared to what would be have been expected. So people, when they look at New York and they see a large number of deaths in New York, and we're projecting about 24,000 deaths, which is like almost 40% of our deaths in the United States, uh, uh, right now and cases are coming from New York. So that's uh, very encouraging to see in a way also we have a lot of loss in uh, New York, but we are seeing much less deaths than expected because the state who implemented the social distancing early on have reduced the burden on themselves. And we are seeing a positive uh, news from these states and they can open up much earlier than the state who delayed the social distancing uh, measures mm-hmm. and putting them in place. Well, I'm coming to you from Manhattan. 
and you, you know how difficult it has been here. And New York City leads the world in just about every category. And yet, as of today, April 30th, our new COVID cases are down. Our hospitalizations hospitalizations are down as well. I think that is for 14 or 15 straight days now. The lives lost is down. We were at 306 as of today. I think many people across the country are looking to New York to try and understand when New York can open again. Can you say when that day is as of now? Yes, right now we're looking at New York to be able to relax some of the, their measures by May 29th. And that based on one case per million, uh, prevalent case per million, so they can detect that case, uh, go after the mm. contact. And then, of course, remember, we're very conservative here, Bill. So if a state like New York could come to us and say, no, I can do three per million, we can move that date earlier and so on. Uh, New York, we need to be very careful, uh, Bill, when we compare New York to other states and to other countries in the world. That virus creep in the U.S. before any of us knew, even the experts who've been doing this epidemic. And we had the virus way before we detected it and way before we were able to see it. That's one. And because New York is the capital, financial capital of our country and the world, so you had more travelers coming to New York because New York has a transportation system, public transportation system. It's a crowded city. So New York, the deck of cards were against New York, stacked against New York. And with all of this, New York, you know, when you're looking now at 24,000 deaths, projected deaths by August 4th, the worst scenario would have been what to expect if we didn't do what we have done in New York. So a lot of things have went very well in New York at a high price, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So you say May 29th. What are the what are the guidelines or the parameters that New York has to meet in order to hit your projection 30 days from so now? New York has to contain uh, practice of social distancing until May 29 and reduce the circulation of the virus. New York. Okay, I can tell you this. I, I, you, maybe you're surprised to hear this or not, but New York City has, has done a terrific job of people staying away from each other. And I mean, there's a certain psychological aspect of that too, as you can imagine, Professor. But anyway, c- continue. Social distancing is one. What is number two? No, I, I I have friends in New York. Uh, you know, we all do. New York is a big city, and I'm amazed what the people in New York have done. Uh, the other thing is the ability of the moving now. New York is doing a medical response right now, treating patients that come in and testing. Now we need to move to a public health system. So that's what needs to be in place. The New York government has to put in place a program that they enable them to have a surveillance that they could detect cases earlier, and they are able to trace the contact with people who came in contact with these cases, isolate them and make sure that they are up on on that level able to detect new cases. So now we need to move into a containment phase where public health is the most important part of what we are doing right now. Mm, okay, so that may take some time. Maybe maybe it's 30 days, maybe as you suggest it could be suggest it could be less than that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's possible uh, to be much less than that if people in New York feel they improve their public health capacity. And I hear there are discussions like that. And they have some strong, you know, strong local health department. New York City has a very strong local health department. So they are capable to do a lot of great things in New York. You do this for a living. What have you learned, Professor, in this process? We're learning a lot of things about this virus. So there are some patterns that we see that are a little bit uh, surprising to us. One of it is we are seeing that the virus 
when we reach a peak, there is a, in some states and location, there is some plateau before it comes down. That's an indication of that virus has been circulating with us for much longer than we detected it. That's one. We're noticing right now, which some encouraging news, and I need to be very careful, Bill, when I tell you that, but that's I'm a straight shooter and we need to level with the American public. We're seeing some impact that in hot places, we're not seeing as much uh circulation or cases of the of COVID-19 as we see in colder places. So there is some heat effect. Our new models right now, are, we're adding temperature because we want to adjust for heat. It's not as big as we have see in flu seasonality, but it is there, which is very encouraging for us all as Americans. You know, summer is coming back. It will be much more warmer and hopefully the virus will be circulating less. So being patient a little bit more right now with such new information is uh, is very important. So you're saying there is a small effect due to heat. Can you say what that temperature is or what that range might be? No, we haven't. Remember, we were not adjusting for it early on. Now we are. So, what, but we are, the reason, let me explain why we're seeing it. So, if you take only Louisiana because of Mardi Gras, and when you look at mobility in Mardi Gras, it went up. You know, people were, you know, because of Mardi Gras in New Orleans. But if you look at the southern state, Texas, Florida, uh, with an older population in Florida, we would have expected more COVID-19 mortality and more COVID-19 spread. We are not seeing it. And when we start controlling for other things, what's happening here, heat is becoming as one of our variables that we are zooming on. But we don't see a big divide in cold and hot places like we would see uh, with flu. The other thing, Bill, that's making us very conservative as we talk about heat is in countries where it is very warm in Africa or in Pakistan or India right now and Saudi Arabia, they're not doing as many tests as they should because all of us are lagging behind testing. In the US, we're doing a great job on testing, by the way, we're increasing our capacity. But we're not getting good information from uh, developing countries about their capacity of detecting new cases so we can factor in the heat. But we see it. It is there, and we're adjusting for it right now. Okay. If I told you it was 61 degrees today in New York... But it was 79 degrees in Sarasota, Florida. So there's a range there of 18 degrees. Would that tell us very much as to how the virus could live or not in that variation? Yes. I mean, we can do in our models, we can pick a temperature and say above this, what's the circulation level going on from the new case detection, which is three weeks ago. Remember, temperature today will tell you about circulation of the virus today and mortality and detection three weeks later. So we have to play a catch-up game with lag. So it's temperature in one month ago that what you see right now in New York happening, one month ago what you see now in Florida happening. So we have to go retrospectively and look at that. But yes, the temperature, a big gap in temperature is causing some uh, less spread of the virus in hot areas. Mm. Ali, what did you think or... What did you feel when you were cited by the White House uh, continuously in a very public way? I mean, we're doing, we're doing a good job and we're trying to update our model. It makes us proud that we're at the University of Washington and at yeah. IHME that we're doing something good for the country. And then now we're being involved and we've been asked. The White House, by the way, we have a regular debriefing with the White House and 
they give us very good insights and we have done some changes in our model or some different scenario based on recommendation from the White House. Uh, we're now moving into discussing, Bill, how we can open the economy and how could let our state go back to normal. And we're working on some road uh, map how we should do it. So if you allow me briefly, I'll tell you what yes, we mean. Yes, please. So what we're looking at right now, if you need to relax your social measurements and open businesses, look at it from a perspective of you and I when we were in college and we want to graduate. Say graduation is when we go back to the new normal. You want to focus on the courses that are required and you want to take the prerequisite first. So how you could look at your economy, what to open first, to make sure what you open first will allow you to open the second phase. Remember, we're rolling our economy back in phases. So you have to do it strategically. The first one is we need to focus on our medical system. Many people have delayed their routine checkups, you know, mammogram, colonoscopy. We want to bring them back. Some women delayed their prenatal care vaccination. So we want to build our infrastructure and open up our hospitals and clinic in a safe manner and protect the people who are coming to us and our physicians as well. But we need to do this and prepare for the second wave when the second wave hits. And it seems there may be a second wave. Oh. The second part for us, we need may, to- May I pause you? When would a second wave occur on a calendar? If we're looking at seasonality right now, it seems with cold weather again. So sometimes in the regular flu season, we may have to deal with a flu and a COVID-19 if we don't have a vaccine for COVID-19. So you still think that's possible because that has been mentioned as a possibility? Yes, it is a possibility. And we, you know, you and I talked about this before. It's better to plan for the worst and hopefully it doesn't come. That's that's good. Let's mm-hmm. let's be in that position. Okay, you were and saying then, number two. Keep going. Number two will be my food security as a country. We need, we need to focus on that. Remember some of the meat packing, like misfilled uh, food. We need to focus on our uh, food security, and we need to make sure that the employee who make sure that we have food on our tables are the second priority. The third priority is our transportation. We need to have a safe transportation. People coming to pick or deliver will not spreading infection from one state to another. Our construction is very important. And next, state by state, again, your prerequisite course that will open the economy for the second one. You have a car manufacturing in your state. You want to make sure the parts company are working to feed into your car uh, assembly so you can open the car assembly soon after that. So that's the strategies that has to go state by state right now in order to relax our measures and open our economy in a safe way so we don't have a setback and we don't allow the virus to be circulating and we can have a second wave even right now. Mm. You're listening to Professor Ali Makdad. This is Hammer Time. More in a moment. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations, or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, 
they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. We continue now with Ali Makdad. Listening to you, I, I get so many more questions, frankly. Um, just double back on the, the food supply issue. There's concern that the workers could share COVID-19 with each other, clearly. Is there any evidence that they could get this from working around the animals where they are or the animals could pass it to them? Has that been concluded? There are very few reports here and there like a dog or a cat tested positive. Right now, we don't have any evidence that uh, animals we deal with in food production will cause COVID-19. So mm. we haven't seen Okay, that, that's good. Uh, let's keep it that way. You mentioned the White House. The conversations happen every day. Is that is that what I heard from you? Yeah, on, on a regular basis. Okay, Chris okay Murray, so our, what, what do they want to know from you, Ali? Chris Murray, our director, is on briefing on a daily basis, uh, sometimes less than daily, depending on when we update our models. They want to understand what our modeling is all about, how we're adding new variable, what we are doing. They're very much keen interested in what if scenarios now that we increase mobility, can we move from a mobility data to number of people circulating? Right now, our mobility, we have an index for mobility. Can we move to number of people that are moving out there? So 10,000 new people in Seattle moving about 20, 30. What are the alternative scenario of the virus circulating? They're giving us more data that we need uh, in terms of what is available and what's coming uh, of the supply chain. And they are asking for certain questions like, are you controlling for certain variables? And we are doing this. Uh, We're a scientific institution, of course, so we go by the science, but they have tremendous good feedback for us. And there's very smart people in that team. I mean, you know, Tony Fauci and Debbie Burks, Dr. Burks. So they are in close contact with us to to know what we are doing and how we could provide the better information for policymakers. Yeah. Just a few more questions, Ali, and I I really am grateful for your time. You've heard about the studies this past week with the drug remdesivir. Apparently, it has shown some promise in some of these clinical trials. How would the success of that drug change your model? So once we have a drug, we will account for it. Right now, the trial that uh, you mentioned showed uh, not that much effect on mortality. It's much less, but not uh, significant, statistically significant. But one or two percent, you know, was it significant or not? It's something we would like to take right now. So it's very promising. But it showed a very strong significance in terms of bed days and how many beds you are in the hospital. And that's very good and encouraging because right now we are so concerned about our ventilators and ICU. So if we have a drug that will limit the patient duration on one of these and cut down the oxygen burn rate that we need in the hospital, this is very encouraging news. So this will change what we are doing by adding an effect for it. Uh, when it comes to our patient and we reduce the mortality, we call it in modeling without getting into statistic a prior. So we could give our model a prior, say, when this drug is introduced and be a decline in mortality, let's say by one or two percent, we take it from that clinical trial and the number of projected deaths will go down because now we have a drug for it. Mm. 
Okay, so we'll take we'll take it as she comes with regard to that. Final question, and if there's anything else you want to share, please. Um, uh, no, take today the- there was some exciting news. I mean, I'm a, you and I, Bill, have talked before. I'm a very uh, optimistic person, and I'm encouraged by what I see right now and the data coming to us. Today, the encouraging news was coming from the vaccination front and the vaccine development front. Remember, when we do a vaccine, we do clinical trial, different phases of the clinical trial, then it goes to production. What I heard from uh, different people that the production has already started for some of these vaccines, even if we don't know they will be effective or not, basically cutting the time if one of them turns to be effective, cutting the time for when they will be available and we can give them to people. So this is very encouraging news, tells you that the American resilience is working and we are going ahead and beyond what we need to do and preempting what we can do, which Mm -hmm. is very good. I love your attitude. Um, Just last question from me. Have you been able to, maybe this is inside of your um, ability to answer, maybe it's out, maybe it's not. (laughs) Have you been able to consider how our behavior will change? You know, the behavior after COVID-19, until we have a vaccine and we know much about this virus, all of us are going to change. I told you, I come from a culture, we kiss when we see each other. We're not going to be doing this. Uh, All of us will be wearing masks or gloves in public transportation or on planes. So uh, the new normal will be different until we are secure. And I think Americans are wise by doing so in order to avoid uh, the return of this virus. Mm. I think you might be impressed by the response you get from coast to coast. Ali, thank you for your time, Professor. Good luck to you. I know you've got a big job. Thank you for sharing your information with us. Thank you. My pleasure, Bill. Take care and be safe. Bye. Bet. Shukran. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Ali Makdad, Professor, University of Washington. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.